The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are catching up with Bruce Lane. Bruce is Executive Director of GTI Resources, which trades on the ASX under the ticker GTR, or Golf Tango Romeo. Fans of Nissan's GTR muscle machine will find the code an easy one to remember. Now GTI is currently trading at 1.2 cents for a market cap of about 6 million. Up until quite recently, it was known for its Niagara Gold project in WA's central gold fields and its Mika Thara BMS Metals project also in WA. But earlier this year, it made the plunge into Made in America Uranium and Vanadium by securing the right to acquire a swag of uranium and vanadium projects in the Henry Mountains of Utah. It is a classical counter-cyclical play given uranium prices remain in the doldrums with both spot and contract prices of US 25.80 and US 31.50 a pound respectively, a far cry from the June 2007 record of US $138 a pound. I will ask Bruce in a moment to explain the strategy behind the move into uranium vanadium and more about the project itself. But first, I welcome Bruce to the podcast and ask him to fill us in on his background and the story behind how he became GTI's executive director. G'day, Bruce. Thanks, Barry. Uh, yeah, look, I've spent uh, probably the last uh, 10, uh, 15 years actually working with um, junior uh, companies, not all on, in resources um, and not all ASX listed, but many of them. And some of my first experiences were during the last period when the uranium price was very strong with a company called Stonehenge Metals and another one called Atom Energy. Uh, and th- through that um, that period, uh, obviously, I became uh, reasonably au fait with the energy sector, in particular with uranium and vanadium. And uh, I mean, Fukushima aside, it was uh, quite a positive experience. Um, and and since that time, uh, I've been looking to uh, try and understand when exactly uh, the uranium price might recover post Fukushima. And I think there's been plenty uh, said about it over the years and, and plenty written. And I think what we're seeing now is some um, very promising conditions that mean that the price of uranium may come back um, and maybe even go beyond a sustainable price for, uh, for exploitation and extraction processing. So that's the, the, the background, um, I guess, the context and at the same time, we've maintained a contact um, in the US, in Utah in particular, um, and uh, maintained a conversation over the years and, and always viewed that as being uh, a good location uh, to, uh, to search for and to exploit um, uranium um, and, and vanadium. And some of the history of that is that uh, the area that we're in uh, it gave up the uranium for uh, the Manhattan Project, 
uh, and it has been one of the most, um, if not the most prolific district in the US for uranium uh, production and, and vanadium since since actually the 1900s with vanadium and then obviously since the um, since the mid 1900s for uranium. So with with all that in mind, um, we'd been looking for an opportunity for um, to get involved with some assets um, and uh, we found that and uh, managed to vend those projects into a private company and then uh, introduced that to uh, GTI resources. Uh, and we had a meeting of the minds in terms of the possibility um, of, uh, of those assets coming to fruition uh, sometime in the near future. Right. Okay. Um, could I get you to outline just what the company has picked up in Utah and that you've touched on the uranium history there. Uh, the vanadium is interesting, not one normally associated with uranium production. And if you can just explain that vanadium leak to the story. Yeah, look, the, the vanadium um, is actually uh, a very significant part of the story. Uh, you know, th there is a variation um, in the district, but the average uh, proportion of vanadium to uranium is, is or ratio is, is four, four, four to one. So there's four times more vanadium than there is um, uranium in these these type of deposits in the sandstones. So the vanadium is a very strong. Um, part of the story and I think we've had experience also in uh, previous projects um, where you know having a dual commodity is obviously quite helpful um, as as uh, commodity prices tend to cycle so the vanadium is um, readily extractable as is uranium uh, and the history of the area has been one of um, you know uh, toll treatment and all purchase agreements um, a lot of the ore flowing into um, the White Mesa uh, processing plant, which is uh, within trucking distance of these projects. And that, that is the only um, operating uh, uranium and uh, vanadium combination mill in the US. It's actually the only operating uranium process, processing plant in the US. Right. Uh, is uh, the project area close to uh, the White Mesa processing mill? Yeah, look, it's it's close. Um, I guess uh, you know it's a relative term, isn't it? Um, close as the crow flies, about a hundred kilometres. But by road, some of the project areas could be a couple of hundred kilometres. But certainly, if you're if you're trucking a, a high a high value ore to an existing processing plant, you know, our view is that uh, it should be easily easily viable. Has uh, White Mesa in the past shown a willingness to take on toll treatment? Yeah, look, they have, and um, albeit that you know the, the environment that they're in at the moment, there's a, there's a different management team there, um, and the plant is not operating at full um, operating capacity by any means. I think they're they're looking for contract prices which will support ongoing operations. Um, so you know, if once we get to sort of fifty or sixty dollars a pound, which I think is you know sort of understood as being around. The sustainable level for for pricing, um, for from a producer point of view, then uh, they would look to recontract or contract supply, start mining their own supply, obviously of ore, but they will need, uh, in order to get the mill up to capacity, they will need to look for additional mill feed. So uh, that's where uh, the relationship with energy fuels would come into play at the point where we had a resource. Mm. 
Mm. Now, as Energy Fuels, one of the companies that uh, petitioned the US government for some, uh, well, uh, quotas, uh, some protection against the imports to encourage the the you know the return of a, a strong uranium uh, production industry in the US. Yes, absolutely. They've been front and center in those conversations and, uh, with the White House. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, we're not privy to the detail of that. We know that the quota idea, um, uh, you know, was rejected, and I think um, we can probably all come to our own conclusions about why foreign policy and, and quotas are, um, and protectionism are are, are difficult um, for the US. But I think what what certainly what the administration seems to be acknowledging is that. Um, you know that the industry, the uranium mining and processing industry, has essentially died in in the US, and um, they're they're aware that that leaves them somewhat exposed, uh, and that uh, strategically, it would be advantageous for them to uh, have the ability to to mine and to process uranium domestically. Not not just because of the nuclear weapons side of things, but obviously they're about twenty percent of of their energy comes from nuclear power, and it's 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 not likely that that's going to change um, on the downside uh, anytime soon. So, you know, they, they they're very aware that uh, there's an opportunity for them to uh, reinvigorate or support the industry. So, what measures are put in place um, is not clear yet. There's uh, this nuclear fuels working committee has been set up, and they're due. Well, I think they're due to deliver a report around about the 10th of October. Um, to the White House. Now, what, what gets made public with respect to that and, and what those specific measures and recommendations are and then what moves into legislation or into action, obviously, we don't know. But uh, we see the environment as being generally supportive um, and particularly that U- the US context, uh, there's an opportunity to be part of that resurgence or reinvigoration of the uh, uranium mining and processing industry. Mm. There seems to be a sense at the moment that uh, nuclear power... Um, is poised to play a key role in the the battle against global emission uh, carbon emissions. Uh, are you sensing that as well? And do you see that being an important part of the uh, price renaissance for the fuel? Yeah. Look, uh, if you look at the number of reactors being um, planned and constructed and, and due to be commissioned, that would tend to support the thesis that um, nuclear power is 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 going to remain a key part of uh, energy production and supply going forward. So, you know, this, the raw facts would tend to suggest that it's not going away. And um, certainly if you look at China um, and even the Middle East, um, you know, the, and, and the US itself, from a period of time where uh, nuclear power was considered to be a big problem, it's now being viewed as an opportunity. There's, there's clearly still some challenges with that from a public opinion point of view. Um, and I think politically, it's it's patchy. You know, even in, within Australia, within each state, there's still a, you know, a, not necessarily a convergence of thinking around um, uh, nuclear power. But uh, I think undeniably, it's part of the energy mix going forward. And I think the reactor designs that are um, that are floating around now, and the, the approach to safety and 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 the efficiency of nuclear power, um, means it's it's kind of hard to ignore it as a possibility, and and certainly if you're the Chinese, um, you're grabbing it with both hands and uh, using it as part of the solution to give everyone uh, energy going forward. Mm. 
Now, I imagine given the current pricing, which is probably a third of what most people would call incentive pricing uh, needed mm. to uh, develop new uranium mines of around US $60 a pound, I imagine mm. there's uh, plenty of prospective uranium exploration ground available around the world. In this move you guys have done, uh, you seem to have deliberately avoided greenfields exploration, face, focusing on a, you know, a known uranium province. Uh, mm. Why is that? Well, look, we think, um, yes, you, you're right. I think there is a lot of uh, uranium potential on the planet. Uh, I think what we looked at was, um, you know, a, 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 we were looking for a supportive environment from a, um, a geopolitical standpoint, but something with a little bit extra, not just uh, low sovereign risk. Uh, we wanted somewhere where we think that the... Um, you know, there'll be real support for the industry. Um, and the, I think the US is quite unique in that respect. So that was one factor we looked at. The other one was the, the long history of mining. And in fact, one of the um, uh, partners that we've been working with in, um, in Utah is, uh, is a guy called Dennis Eko, and his family have been mining uranium since the 1900s. And he himself has mined uranium, amongst many other things he's done. And, uh, and so he um, has actually been mining on some of these projects and in some of these areas. And the prospecting and mining that uh, was undertaken was obviously um, not, I guess, professionally conducted the way that we would uh, expect it in modern times. But there's a lot of outcrop and a lot of f you know, physical surface shows of uranium and vanadium in this area. So they basically chased the uranium uh, into the side of the hill. And so that uh, makes it easy once you know where the prospectivity is to, as to where you should look. And so we've really just followed up that with Dennis and he's helped us to find um, areas that are highly prospective and have delivered in the past uh, grades and widths of mineralization. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of been a guided hand, if you like. Um, we know that you know, the material that's being mined, the ore is, is, is quite well understood uh, in terms of how, um, how it processes. And, um, and we think the grades are, are pretty interesting compared to, you know, other projects we've been involved with and seen around the world. Mm -hmm. Now, it's obviously great to have that local knowledge and uh, understanding uh, on uh, batting there for you. I was just wondering... Uh, just back for a second on the US industry, will you be relying on protection emerging for the US industry or you're more determined to build a standalone case for uh, getting into production? Look, I think um, you're always trying to uh, build a standalone case for uh, production. You know, it's really about identifying an asset with, uh, you know, grade and continuity and, and, and scale that, um, you know, that supports a mining operation. Now, I think the difference in this case is there is the possibility of um, coming to some arrangement with uh, energy fuels, either, I guess, selling them the project, if you like, or um, selling them the ore or, or coming to, you know, some toll, toll, toll treatment arrangement. So all those things become more realistic possibilities when you've actually got a mill that needs feed down the road. Um, and similarly, with the US, um, you know, the possibility of US of the US government supporting the industry, then that's all um, helpful, potentially helpful. But the underlying objective is obviously to find a, 
find an asset of, of substance that um, stands in its own right. Mm. Now, I come from a state uh, that's Victoria where it's illegal to even look for uranium. Um, mm. So I was wondering, uh, what's the, uh, is Utah supportive of a uranium industry? Yeah, well, look, Utah has a uranium industry, which is a good start. Uh, and um, and a long history, um, and and I think from a strategic standpoint within the U.S., I mean clearly there's always challenges um, around um, you know first people's um, you know rights and involvement and 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 you know protection of the environment and, and environmental groups, and that's the same anywhere. You know Australia mm. um, uh, is is no exception to all those things. So it's not an unfamiliar environment to us. But Utah is known to be very mining friendly. I mean, it's it's got a very long history um, steeped in mining, um, very much like Australia, and uh, and so you know it, it's it's an understood industry. There's a huge you know vast expanse of uh, unpopulated areas in in Utah. So you know we think it's a mining friendly jurisdiction. We think of you know places in the world where uranium mining can be conducted. And is supported, then you know it's one of the best uh, available. Mm, okay. Now, I understand that the company has launched itself into a, a phased assessment slash exploration program to uh, bring the project forward. Uh, can you tell us a bit about where you're at and uh, how it will unfold? Yes, the um, we've partnered up with um, with SRK in Denver, and they have a lot of experience. In uranium and a lot of experience in Utah. Uh, so we're working with them at the moment um, to get get through the planning phase and the and, and the permitting phase, and that's well underway. We're um, you know reasonably optimistic that we'll be drilling uh, our initial program, um, which will probably be around ten or twelve holes um, in advance of Christmas. So. For that that program will obviously yield um, EU three hundred eight um, numbers, you know, downhole gamma numbers, uh, pretty much, you know, as we drill, or immediately after the drilling program ceases, we'll, we'll go and do that gamma work, and that'll we'll get the results of that that fairly quickly, and then uh, the chemical assay uh, results would be due probably um, in the early part of of next year, subject to us getting that drilling um, underway and completed. The side of Christmas. Mm. Right, uh, exciting stuff. Um, mm. Not to forget uh, the uh, company's quote-unquote traditional projects back here in Australia. Um, does Utah now supersede everything in Australia, or is there value in pursuing some of the uh, the Mikatara project? Yeah, look, the, the, those projects um, or the projects in Australia are, you know, by no means uh, now tossed in the bin. They're still part of our project portfolio going forward. We've just completed um, a, a placement and a rights issue, um, a very heavily subscribed rights issue. I think it was more than 80% subscribed uh, with the funds. And then, you know, it was underwritten and we've, we've just tidied up the, the balance of, of, of that um of that raising, so we're funded um, for the most part to undertake some exploration in Utah, but we still have an, have an ongoing interest in and commitment to the projects in uh, in Australia. Um, obviously, it's you know commodity wise, gold's not a bad place to be, and and those you know those those projects um, 
uh, showing prospectivity for gold. It's just a matter of sequencing them. Mm. Uh, one of the interesting things about the company is its uh, modest market uh, capitalization. Uh, I think uh, a case could be built that the market cap is more than covered by the Australian interests. Uh, and now we have this new uh, push into uranium in uh, uh, Utah. Uh, is that your understanding or what do you see will be the trigger point when there will be the value will start to flow through from this uranium push? Yeah, look, I think that the market cap is uh, is not in a bad place um, from a starting point uh, if, if we believe the thesis around uranium. And I think there's some value accretion that can uh, come, uh, come into the stock uh, over the next three to six months uh, with, some, uh, with some positive drilling results. And if we get a you know some support out of the U.S. Um, administration, and uh, you know, we're already at seeing strengthening in the spot price of uranium, uh, and you know there's been some ups and downs over the years, so we know that one swallow doesn't make a uh, make a summer. But if you look at the supply um, demand situation on forward contracting for uranium, and you see the the spot price strengthening, there's a there's certainly a sense, uh, from my point of view, that this may be the sustained um, period of increase in the uranium price. Now, if that, if that happens and we get um, some good news out of the US from the uh, um, you know industry support point of view, and we manage to um, locate something interesting with the drilling, I think uh, there's the real possibility that we'll get a tailwind and, and the, the market cap of the company will improve. And that's obviously what we're hoping for. Mm. Okay, there we go, folks. Uh, a very interesting story. Um, ASX uh, companies looking for uranium. I think this is probably just about the only one. So uh, highly leveraged to the unfolding renaissance of the uranium story. So thanks for your time today, Bruce, and best of luck with it. Great. Thanks, Barry.